0: In developing and assessing your missionaries, one of the things we have to do is, again, know what they're going to be experiencing. There's One of the things that's really difficult for missionaries is trying to come back and explain to people what they've dealt with. Because unless you've been there, you don't know. And uh, we we have one missionary on the field that went to one location about 18 times short-term And they wanted to move there. And I said, well, we really need to talk about some stuff. And they said, well, you know, I've been there 18 times. I said, you've not been to the field. You've not lived there. Living there is different. So there's things that you just can't explain. And so I want to give you a little bit to try to help you understand. Because if you understand these things, it will make you a much better sender. Okay? Okay. You you can't understand the stress that goes on in a person's mind when normal, everyday things become completely hard. Like For example, you, when you brushed your teeth this morning, hope you did, okay? When you brushed your teeth this morning, it was something you did without even thinking. You guys ever drive to some place and go, how did I get here? I don't even remember making those turns, right? Because it becomes an everyday thing, something that you've driven a lot, and it just becomes natural you brush your teeth most of the time does anybody remember how you no you don't remember that it just became a normal everyday thing when you move overseas it lots of times it's not a normal everyday thing you have to remember this water if it gets in my mouth i'll be sick right and so these normal everyday things are gone like that and so you add these extra stressors because you have to use this water and you have to do this and then it's even a problem because it's not just the first two weeks because it's kind of fun for a while. But then in three months with all the stressors going on, you're trying to make it a natural part of your life and you just forget and you run your toothbrush under the water and you begin to brush your teeth and then you've got a bad week, Right? We tell our missionaries, you're not really a true missionary until you've had an amoeba, yeah. right? <laughs> so these are things that happen, but it's so difficult to explain that level of stress. So going overseas, um, before we went overseas, you know, I had a, more degrees than a thermometer, right? Um got master's level degrees and, and was pastoring and doing all these things in churches, was not really well-respected, but kind of a semi-respected kind of person, had some things that I could do. And then you pack up and you move, and for the next several years, you talk like a toddler. And so you lose this identity of who you are. And every second, though I can talk to you like this, and I've never thought about What word am I going to use in this situation or not? Right? I can just talk. But you go over there and you can't just talk. It's hard. Your brain has to run constantly. You're constantly translating. Constantly trying to figure out what a situation is. One of our first nights overseas, there was a screaming match outside of our house and we were trying to figure out, is this guy kicking his girlfriend out of the house? Are they fixing the fist fight or are they just happy to see each other? Right? And uh, it was concerning because I'm trying to figure out do I need to hide the children? Is there going to be gunshots? Do I need to call the cops? Do I need to you know, just laugh it off? I didn't know what was going on. Um, <clears throat> missionary stressors and missionary concerns, you'll, you'll never know all of them. You just won't but you need to need to grasp that these guys that you know and love and they're so capable are going to go have several years of total incapableness that will rock them to their core that they have to realize who they are in christ and remember that through really really dark times okay so me this guy that you know can talk Greek and Hebrew and can counsel people and evangelize and do that nearly got beat up my first couple of weeks because we found hot dogs at a store and my kids wanted hot dogs to remember home and so we went I went to a store and asked the lady if there was relish there well you know in our language there's you can relish meaning like pickles chopped up right relish And relish would be like to really cherish and love on somebody. I nearly got beat up because I asked this lady the wrong type of relish. could not figure out why these people are angry at me. I once asked asked the sandwich maker to put the country of turkey on my sandwich. (laughs) Because in our language... Turkey, the country, and turkey, the meat, is the same thing. Not in Spanish. And to have people look at you like you're an idiot, and to realize you are an idiot, (laughs) is sometimes harder. And it's tough to come back and kind of talk about. So... The former mission agency we were with, their missionary care program was, we'll call you in three months whether you need it or not, sort of thing. Okay, So let me give you our history. We, Candy and I, went to a place with four kids. We had a youngest one in a stroller. And um, we went to a place that we'd never been before. We'd never even visited this place when we moved. So we go, we're getting off the plane. Candy comes off the plane, makes a turn, and breaks her knee. In the airport, breaks her knee. Uh, We hobble to this place that we had rented uh, there, which we didn't know these people. There's a contract there for us to sign that's in Spanish. We have no clue what it says. Uh, We were charged about three times what we should have been. Um, because we were supposed to have some people there on site that were going to help us, but they decided not to be there that day. Right? So Candy is limping, and she says that she's, because she's a trooper, I'm married way over what I should have been capable of, but I'm thankful for it. Um, she's just sucked it up, and we got home, got all the kids in bed, the next day we wake up and my second son's eyes are swollen shut. Can't open his eyes. And so now we don't have the option. Right? Now she, because her Spanish is a little better than mine at the time, I was actually a zero when I got there. Um, so she knew a very, very small amount, but was in a country she didn't know, in a language she didn't know, with a culture she didn't know walking through a medical system that she didn't know, trying to figure out, and she didn't even, on a broken knee, which eventually required surgery, um, she tried to take our second son to get him some, to figure out what's going on. When the doctor says, what's going on, she says, I don't speak Spanish. Right? When he tries to give her instructions on what to do for our son, she says, I don't speak Spanish. So let me just tell you: when, if your missionary care policy is, I'll call you in three months whether you need it or not. They're going to need it way before that. We had visited a church, and um, I learned. I'm. A, you may not be shocked by this now, but I'm kind of a strange person, and so when I learn, I, I connect things they are strange, and so we were learning about household items, and we learned the word for broom, which I don't use the word broom very much in English, right, so I'm learning this in Spanish going, I don't know where I'm going to talk about a broom, but was trying to piece through and learn this new language, and so I asked the lady, what's the women called with the green faces that ride the brooms, (laughs) right, and so I learned the word for witches the same day, So this is how I learn. I try to piece things together and learn that direction. Um, And so we went and visited a little church and our youngest son made a giant mess, which he's very, very good at. Makes a big mess and I try to help clean it up. And so I go and ask this lady at the church, where do you keep your witches? (laughs) And she said, we're not that kind of church. So I I, want to make light of it. But I really make light of it because I don't know how to tell you how difficult that was. To supposed to be a pastor, to supposed to be able to, to be a servant of the church and realizing that I'm just a toddler in this new language and new culture. And you need to know these things because you will never be a good sender unless you can grasp a little bit about what your missionaries are going through. They're going to need a deeper kind of encouragement that sometimes we, we give here. And this is a problem. When we try to create churches that are encouraged, we, we avoid encouraging one another, we, we just fail at so much of what God's calling us to do. God is calling us to invest in other people. We tell our people at our church, you don't leave here until you've used your gifts. And you go find somebody to encourage. You go find somebody to pray with. You go find somebody to be merciful to. We're here. You you use them. Don't go home without it. But if you've noticed, we're terrible at encouraging. Terrible. If we want to encourage a guy, we tell him he looks like a fat ape. Right? We say stupid things. We rib and we joke and we hope that they can understand by our jesting that we really like them. There are times if you're overseas and you've been dealing with it and somebody calls and says, what are you doing, you baboon? You may not realize and you may not receive it as an encouragement. So this is one of those things that I encourage you to start learning how to do here. Learn how to encourage and use words to build people up. Read Ephesians 4, read James 3. Understand the power that's in your tongue. And encourage and serve people with your words. I don't mean speak new things into existence or anything like that. I just simply mean encourage people. See the good in them and tell them about the good that's in them. These guys back there are linguists, they can translate from Greek and Hebrew. And they're trained to do that into languages that they don't even know. They're very impressive. But it does not equate to -to day-to-day life. Day-to-day life, there's only one way to get there, and it's through the hard process of learning the language and talking like a toddler. And if we want them to be able to get all the way through to where they're translating and being able to accomplish the task, we need to keep them well-encouraged. Through these very trying times that they're going to face, we need to understand contextualization. And I don't have a lot of time to go through some of these things, but if you've never read the book called Peace Child by Don Richardson, I recommend it. If you're not a reader, there's about a thirty-minute to an hour video that you can get for free on YouTube called Peace Child highly recommend, but you have to understand not just language, you have to understand culture. And culture is the worldview, how they view the world. So to give you an example, I've heard lots of talk about Belize, and so let me talk for a second about Latin American culture, because this might help you. that You're probably more familiar with it than anything. Latin American culture uh, has its history in what we would call animism. Which is the worship of spirits and ancestors and sun gods and mother earth and things like that well when the catholics showed up in the early 1500s the conquistadors they showed up with swords and pizarro says uh, i'm going to kill you all because you're not catholic and they all say actually that was on our to-do list we want to be catholic (laughs) right which is in a tremendous... If you're going for numbers, that's a good way to do it. And so all of these people are now Catholic, but all they've done was they've added Catholicism to their animistic beliefs. So this is what theologians would call syncretism. S-Y-N, syncretism. Um, This is where these two beliefs are just mixed. And so this person now walks around both of them. So I'll show you, When, when we talked about costa rica having less than 10 biblically faithful churches that's because most of their churches are syncretistic they have this mixture of animism and catholicism that's even in their evangelical churches right so they've added jesus to what they believe now the gospel is not adding jesus to anything it is rejecting everything else to reach around christ to embrace christ that is it you you don't accept jesus plus this other stuff that's not the gospel. The gospel is the rejection of everything else. Right? It's that this is the only way, this is the only uh, truth. So, this, I tell you, Catholicism is, is so um, bad in Central and in South America that when jo- Pope John Paul II was still alive, he went and toured Latin America. And after the tour, he actually said, the Roman Catholic Church needs to re-evangelize Latin America, because that's not Catholicism. Because you'll have people that go to mass on Sunday and will leave there and will go pay the witch doctor to ask the ancestors to bless their crops. Same people. Right? Syncretistic. Um, Which funny thing, if you want to know how the church, the Catholic Church, got to where they are today, is because of that. um, They started looking for a Latin American pope, and they got one—a guy from Argentina. And then the Catholic Church is realizing not even the Pope's Catholic, right? Because he's so syncretistic in his beliefs. that they, They've been more ashamed of this guy and some of the things he said. Um, because he's syncretistic, right? R- Rome, as far as Rome-Italy, they can't stand the way he's trying to lead. But it's really tough because you gave him the seat, <laughs> right? You tried to make it work. but So... Uh, when, you're, when you're looking at these things, when we're aiming for biblically faithfulness, we're, we're not aiming for syncretism, syncretism at all. This is a really helpful thing to also, when you begin to see this in others, you, you might begin to see how your culture has impacted your Christian life and your church. Your culture has, I would imagine, invaded your church in some way. Like where I am, where I pastor, I've already told you the good old boy theology has invaded our church. And so we're trying to beat it out with a stick. Right? Trying to, to explain that that's not the truth of the gospel. Trying to beat back that culture away from us. What part of your culture has invaded you? It's may, maybe wise to think about it. It's also wise to think about where you're, going to, where you're going to. When you go to Belize, you have to recognize that this is a syncretism, syncretistic culture and a syncretistic church that even though they're evangelical, so many times they've just added this and taken away a little bit of the Catholicism in it so they don't worship Mary anymore, they don't do some of these other things. But they still have probably kept a lot of those others because that just by their nature, they've just added and added and kind of mixed and mixed and come up with their own belief. Our goal is to help them just to believe the Scriptures, right? which is a long process. How long has the Lord been gracious with you? Right? So we're okay to go and serve them when they may not be where they need to be yet. Because if we have a mirror, we'll know. Okay. So effective missionary development when you're assessing and developing your missionaries, it's a team effort. The candidate has a lot of work to do. The sending church has a lot of work to do. The mission agency has to hone the final project. The product, I mean. But all of it, or almost all of it, starts within the local church, and so qualities and uh, competencies that are best cultivated through the disciple's relationship with the local church are these gospel foundations, heart issues, head issues, hands issues. Paul in Titus chapter one says, "I, Paul, a servant of the Lord, writing," and, and he writes this letter, and ultimately, I think he's. Uh, not just saying this letter, but also this ministry, the reason he left Titus in Crete, but also probably all of Paul's ministry. He says in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, he does this for the sake of, it's really interesting why he does it, to answer the why. For the sake of, one, the faith of God's elect. So we, of course, understand that that means those that are here and those that are coming. So there's evangelism and discipleship. In that. So those that are already here to strengthen that faith, to make it more fervent, but also for the sake of the faith of those that don't yet believe that God has elected. And we know that God is still redeeming a people. right? So we can continue our work because he has continued his work. And so Paul does it, one, for the faith of God's elect, two, for their knowledge of the truth, and three, that that faith and knowledge would work together in accordance with godliness. And so with this thing, it comes from what uh, Calvin once called the head, heart, and hands issue. We need to be fully developed. Martin Luther adds one. Actually, he says there needs to be four conversions of a man. He says there should be the head, the heart, the hands, and the wallet, which I think is funny uh, because he's right. (laughs) But you understand that if we only have head knowledge, we fail, and that's why you can't trust seminaries to grow your missionaries. Because seminaries... My kids call it cemeteries, and I've never corrected them. So, I had an old pastor, when I was headed to seminary, I had an old pastor come up to me, and he said, Dustin, if you want to find the Holy Spirit at the seminary, you better take him with you. Because so many times what seminaries' jobs, they consider their job to do is not to prepare men, They, they consider their job to teach doctrine, to teach information. And here's the problem with that. The church does not need leaders with overdeveloped heads and underdeveloped hearts. We do not need missionaries with overdeveloped heads and underdeveloped hearts. We don't need missionaries that are really good at ministry but have terrible doctrine. Right? So it's not that we can only develop one or two aspects of this Christian that we're trying to send over which is why it can never be the seminary's job to do it. This is why it has to be done in the local church. The local church is the one that can fully develop the head, the heart, and the hands of this person so that they can be ready, fully equipped for the task. Uh, I have listed out a bunch of those. I would love to chat through those, but I can't. Ultimately, The life of these missionaries, when you're trying to assess and develop them, you want them to say something like this. Their lives need to speak something similar to these missionaries' lives. So John Grigg, when he was writing about David Brainerd, a great missionary, if you've never read David Brainerd's uh, biography, read that please. John Grigg says this, David Brainerd was willing either to die or live, but found it hard to be reconciled to the thoughts of living useless. If you got somebody that's so developed that that's what you can say about their life, they're ready. Another man, Horatius Bonar, when writing a biography of David Brainerd, said this, his his life was not a great life, as men use the word, but it was a life of one plan, expending itself in the fulfillment of one great aim, and in in the doing of one great deed, serving God. That's the kind of people we're trying to develop. That's the goal of every church member, and that's what, unfortunately, most church members don't think that's their goal. Yeah. But we need to help them to understand that's that's the goal of every member of Liberty Church. Yep. Right? And somebody, you're liable to lose some people over this. We're we're here to disciple you. We're here to help you mature and multiply. Because God has a purpose for you. We've got a mission that we're called to be on. And you're going to have some people go, I don't want that. I want to be entertained. And, and so some of these things you'll experience what we would call addition by subtraction. You'll get more pure as the leaven will leave through situations like that. But I also think there's probably tons of growth that would happen, both numerically and in maturation when everybody begins to understand that that's what they're called to do. I want to say I'm very encouraged about Liberty Church. I am. Because I have a feeling I'm going to teach this a lot to three or four people in churches. That there's going to be churches that go, we'll let the mission team do that. We don't really care. I'm thankful to be here and there's Fifty-five or whatever there is of you, that's a huge encouragement to me, and I hope you're encouraged by that too. Yeah. That you guys are showing up and going, no, 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 we want to know yeah. what 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 the Lord would have us to do. So I'm encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. How about this one? David Livingston says this: "Oh Jesus." Fill me with thy love now, and I beseech thee, accept me, and use me a little for thy glory. I've done nothing for thee yet, and I would like to do something. Oh, do, do. I beseech thee, accept me in my service, and take thou all the glory. So if you have a missionary, and you get them and they look like this, willing to say this, there's other things that surely they're going to need to know. But I promise you, if a mission agency gets a call with some missionary candidates that look and sound like that, there will be salivating, right? Those are the people we want to send. Does that make sense? You understand, we can't do that. Lots of mission agencies, they do all their recruiting through colleges. Right? And they circumvent the church. But they're not being developed and this is why so many missionaries are, are sent under-equipped or poorly equipped or, quite frankly, not equipped at all. Because we've circumvented all of their development. Fourteen years between Paul was saved and Paul was sent. It has to happen in a local church. Assessing them. Uh, assessments, I hope you understand that a good mission agency will be there to help you assess your missionaries, to help you look at what it is that, that they need to be to make sure that they're ready. Uh, this is why that threefold cord or a three-legged stool is so important. The missionary, um, the local church, and the missions agency. If they work together, it will be, will be so much stronger. Um, so the way that we start ours is we start with what we call seven C's, and I know that's in your book. If somebody begins, we start looking at their conversion, their call to ministry, their character, their convictions, their competency, their chemistry, and their country of service. Right? So we begin to look at these types of things to assess those their character. We had these uh, conversations with Mike and Justice about Raymond and Leanne. How's their character? Do you see them live this out? Do you see them when they've sinned? How do they respond to sin? You all remember that conversation? Those are good conversations. Here's why I was encouraged. Okay, Because I said, do you know these guys? Do you see this happen? And Mike and Justice both said, yeah, these are examples. We're walking with these guys through this. And it's one of those things that I'm just like, That's awesome. Because do you know how many phone calls I get? And I call the pastor... And they say, who are you talking about now? <laughs> this missionary candidate says you're, he's a member of your church. No, 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 maybe somebody else knows him. How big is your church? 50 people. Okay. It's not good. Because right. if this candidate hasn't had to try, hasn't wanted to have any sort of relationship with the leaders of the church, any sort of investment from them, their life into their own, Uh, mm, scary right and so we start with these types of things so we had a pretty good one here because we knew that when Raymond and Leanne had come on with us that we were looking at a longer term as as they were going to be raising some support and and so we we discussed some of these things and said now these are the things we want to continue to see Raymond and Leanne grow in and we had a plan of you know they're going to be involved in these things in these bible studies they're going to we're going to see them we're going to have these many touches each week right and it's just been this long term where did where did we get to say here's the best place to develop your missionaries right there where they are under the authority of your elders under the membership and the the functioning body of liberty church It's the best place to develop your missionaries. It's a way to go. Please take that encouragement. So, um, short list of things I've not mentioned yet. Uh, Missionaries are pretty rare. Expect them to be rare. J.C. Ryle says it's easier to raise dollars for the cause than it is to raise men. Um, So make sure that they embrace accountability. Accountability. Uh, make sure that missionaries are missionaries to their own tribe first. So what, what my people get told a lot is you have to be missionaries to your own tribe of, you know, Raymond's got to be missionary to his tribe of five right now. And if he fails at that, it doesn't ma- it will not matter how good of a Bible translator he is. If he fails at serving his wife and his children, he will be, as Scripture says, worse than an infidel. It doesn't matter how good you are. We all know of really great pastors, Christian leaders in the world today that divorce because they fail to do their job at home and they're unqualified. So you make sure that they understand their priority. They've got to be faithful here. Study here. Serve here. Share the gospel here. You understand there's absolutely nothing magical about a plane ride. You can't be turned into a good missionary because you bought a ticket. There's nothing about that. So in your assessing and development of it, we want to see faithfulness here. One of the things that we'll tell you, and and because we don't do numbers the way all these DMM organizations do numbers, um, I want, I, I pray for our missionaries. Two things. I pray that our missionaries are faithful and that they're fruitful. But I tell my missionaries, all they have the ability to, to do is to be faithful. Fruitfulness comes from what? It comes from the Lord. Paul says, I, I plant. Paulus waters. God gives the increase. Right? And so we teach our people to faithfully plant and water. We, we have a, every month we have a DT and all staff meeting. And we just had ours last week and I, I loved it. Because we had uh, about four of our people are starting new discipleship things where they're going. It was so funny to hear all of them. Pray, pray for us on this. We're starting this new discipleship effort. We've got these people in our church that want to be discipled, and we're doing this, we're doing this. And it's just so encouraging, right? To see their faithfulness as they're looking for ways to serve. But the fruit's not up to them, right? Their faithfulness is, they must be strong. Now, that we work in tandem in partnership with the Holy Spirit for that. So we, we believe salvation is monergistic work of the Lord and sanctification is synergistic where work of the Lord and the believer, right? We, we partner with him in that. So we partner with the Holy Spirit for f- uh, faithfulness, but we recognize that fruitfulness is of the Lord. Uh, John Piper once said, Both the evangelist and the lost person are both completely helpless when they get together. The only difference is the evangelist knows it. And he's praying for power, right? And so that's what we do in our work. We recognize we cannot give the increase. I can't believe this for you. But I'm here praying that the Lord would make this real in your heart. And that's what our missionaries do. So make sure they're faithful because that's their main thing they've got to do over there. Uh, check with them to see if they've forgiven the people that have wronged them. They're only limited to so many bags on airlines and so they can't be taken a bunch of other baggage. Okay? They've got to be able to forgive when people hurt. They've got to be willing to ask for forgiveness when they've hurt. These are mature things that christians do or things that mature christians do maybe and so these are uh, wise to do this do they have the drive and the sharpness that is required to be able to master another language in a hostile environment right? so when you assess them there's got to be some there's no psychology test that tests stick to itiveness, right There's just no way to test those things. So we test them over a long period of time in a local church. Do they have the drive it takes to not quit when it gets hard? Because it'll get hard. Are they socially awkward? Sometimes uh, church's great plans is for the people that have zero fit here, let's send them over there. (laughs) That's not a great idea. Okay. Um, socially awkwardness actually translates into every language. Do they use money wisely? And so, churches, what I encourage you to start doing is, in each of your people, not just those that you think are ready for missions, but in each of your people, do a couple things. One, start saying, I see in you. Right? I see in you. I think that's in your book. So if you see that, that's what that means. I see in you. Spell it out. All right? And talk to them about the good things that God is doing in their life. This is where we encourage with our words. Right? Sometimes I had to tell our three-year-old, use your words. Use your words. To tell churches too. Okay? Use your words. I see in you that the Lord is doing this. Pick out those things. We have a teenager now, and sometimes we're like, I see that the Lord has used you to tie your shoes today. We praise the Lord for that. <laughs> right? we, we have to find things that are good. Okay? And then you also say, I don't see in you. So in this development, they ha- we have to have people that are willing to take criticism that, is, that comes from love and grace, right? And so there's times that people need to hear, I don't see in you that you're stewarding your resources well. Let's work on that. Let's encourage you to do this. I don't see in you that you're doing this like you should. And it's okay to have those conversations. We're trying to grow and mature one another, Right? And so it's a blessing when you do that. If, especially if you say, I see in you that the Lord is doing these things. We rejoice in you in that. I don't see that this is fully ripe yet. So how can we help you do this while we continue to see you grow in these things? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you could benefit from conversations like that from a loving, godly, older brother or sister in the Lord? All of us would. So we have to build this into our community. Into the culture of our church. So counsel them. Help them see these things. Bless them. Give them, help them add tools to the tool belt. When 18-year-olds call me and say they're interested in missions, I always tell them the same story. I said, if I need somebody to build me a cabinet, I make sure I call somebody that has a hammer. Right? There are tools that are required for the job. And so if you want to be a missionary, what are are the tools required? And then do you have those tools for your tool belt? With Raymond and Leanne, I don't know if you realize the gems that you have in them, the jewels that they have, but they have spent years and years and years of preparation, getting all the training they needed for translation work. They have put in the effort. And that's that's a great thing. They knew to accomplish their task they were going to need tools in their tool belt and they went and got them. If they were to come to you right now and say, we want to go become translators, you would have to serve and support them for many years as they went and got the training that they've already gotten. So this is a good thing. If you see somebody that says, this is what I want to go to do, and you say, okay, what tools are you going to need? And that person says, all right, help me figure out how to get these tools. And they go to work to add these tools to their tool belt. That is showing the spirit of a missionary. Isn't it? You see, the best way to call out bad missionaries is not to send them overseas and spend thousands of dollars. The best way to do it is to give them these things. And if somebody's unwilling to do it over here when it's easy, that makes sense. Yep. Okay. All right. Also, because uh, I'm a nice man, I wrote you a church missionary partnership agreement that is in. Your appendix, so you don't have to write that from scratch as well. Those are some things that you can look at and will, Lord willing, be a blessing to you as you're developing your stuff. Step number five very, very quickly determine the parameters of partnership. There is a difference between serving, I mean, supporting a missionary and sending a missionary. And we'll talk more about that in just a second, but. This is something that I realize happens. The best way for me to come and do this teaching is for a church to have never done anything in missions ever, right? Because inevitably, 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 Inevitably. what's the word? Thank you. Inevitably, what happens is as we talk through this biblical foundation for missions, we do see that, Oftentimes, we've done stuff that we shouldn't have, right? And sometimes we get ourselves into partnerships that we shouldn't have. And so, like this church in Arkansas I told you about, they've, they've been doing missions a long time and, and been doing missions poorly a long time, spending several hundred thousand dollars a year sending short-term teams to paint houses um, and balk at the idea of sending $100 to a career missionary every month. So it it was challenging to come in and try to help them see some of these things. And so after they've done all this stuff, well, they have tons of people that love Nicaragua, right? And they love certain things about Nicaragua, but now you have to develop... The convictions have to be so much that you're willing to start steering the ship away from those things. And so this section I really wanted to to bring in because it does help because as as you become more biblical there are things that are unbiblical that you will need to stop doing. And so how do you how do you do that? And so first of all I want to just very gently and graciously slay, say you do it slowly. Right? This is not one of those things that the Lord has in in his incredible grace God even uses our foolish efforts so many times, doesn't he? God has used really poor planting and really poor watering to give increase, and he's even given increase in dry and weary lands, right? I mean, he's just the Lord, and he does some incredible things. That does not mean we should continue to do the things foolishly, though, right? When I was a child, I spoke like a child, but now that I'm a man, i let's put away childish things. Now that we're maturing in our uh, understanding of what God's called us to do in missions, let's start putting away some of these childish things, right? And so to do that, you have to educate all the way across the board because if somebody has come to you and wanted you to start supporting that person that helps stray pets in Kenya, right, and you because of this new direction, you realize that no longer fits. You don't just call that person and say, you're you lose the $1,000 we give you every month today because that puts that person in a big trouble, okay? And so you begin to say, listen, at the end of this six months or calendar year or whatever you think, give them lots of heads up so that they can start looking for other support. Right? It does not mean that you want, wish ill on that person. It might be that that missionary, that person that's over there helping the stray pets in Kenya, might believe that that's the mission of the church. And so maybe they need some education too. And so gently, lovingly, talk through them with these things. You can help them do this, okay? But remember, when you do this, to to partner with somebody, first of all, you have to recognize that faithfully stewarding your resources is the goal. And that means ultimately you can't do it all. And so there's just far too many things happening in the world for you to be experts at it all. So just pick a few different types of ministries and start with those. Start with a few different parts of of the world and try to be as effective as you can in serving them before you add any more. Stewarding requires that you thoroughly vet every missionary and ministry you will support and that vetting must must continue as long as you're supporting them. Um, Guys, this church in Arkansas I was telling you about uh, they were giving to a missionary for years without, it was something like four years and they've not heard from him. There was uh, a guy in one church that was doing a ministry and a faithful brother who was a mechanic in the local town was giving this guy $100 a month and met him one day and he said, hey, how's that stuff going? Is that ministry still going? You know, I still support you. He goes, the guy actually had the gall to tell him, no, I quit doing that two years ago. I've just been taking your money. Wow. I wish those were isolated incidents, but I have thousands of those stories. And and so when you determine the parameters of your partnership, you determine ways that you're going to continue this conversation, this continual vetting. It's just like in church, right? We walk along with the brother, and if the brother one day, start, like if Justice it decides he's going to start teaching that Jesus is a reincarnation of a hippo, you've got to step in and do something. Yeah. Right? Amen. you got to call him on that. And if he's left the faith, he's, if he's leaving the doctrine that you, your church agrees upon, then that needs to go away. Same thing happens. People sometimes change their views. They sometimes start doing things in ministry that you would cease to support. If If you start serving... Um, with Raymond and Leanne and three years down the line they say this stuff's too hard let's do DMM Um, then it won't just be it shouldn't just be uh, DTN that's firing them it should be Liberty that fires them right I tell you that because I want to warn you don't do it I'll fire you (laughs) that's my job right hire well and fire quickly okay (laughs) (laughs) okay So, guiding principles for local church missions. Here's some things that you have to be aware of if you're going to make partnerships. Make sure there's doctrinal alignment. Right? With whatever you're, they're called to do. Each mission is different. So, if you're sending somebody to church plant, obviously, you need to go way a lot deeper in their understanding of what their doctrine is. Right? Bible translation, you want to make sure that they hold the scriptures in a high regard that they are convicted about ensuring that this is uh, translated well faithfully okay you don't want somebody that goes well you know we have one translation it's an english translation that says the jews ran around with their flashlights you didn't know that yep there's an actual bible translation that you can buy on stores that says the jews were using their flashlights because they didn't care about actual translation. They just cared about trying to get a meaning across. Um, and so it, to me, that's, that's a problem. That, that becomes fiction very quickly. Right? And if we don't... Ooh, that, I nearly said something about chosen. That would have got me in trouble. <laughs> we don't want people to fall in love with a fictional Jesus. Right? A fictional Jesus can't save them. Number two, they must be local church connected. I hope you see that. They've got to be connected to local churches. Here and there. So in your, your support, you can support other missionaries. This, I'm not talking about sending. This is just in how you determine who you're going to support. You won't send every missionary that you support, probably. More than likely, you'll have other people that you'll support. But you want to be very picky about who you support. Your missions team should aim for ministries that enable involvement. Okay? So there are levels of involvement. The lowest level possible should be writing a check. And so that should be the, the thing you're least looking forward to in partnership. You're looking for ways that you can partner not just in writing a check, but in being involved in helping to accomplish the task that can look a lot of different ways. With these guys, you're not going to actually be translating language, right? But there will be ways that you help. And and we can talk about some of that in just a little bit. Belize, there should be ways that you help, right? So aim for ways that you can involve. If there's some massive need that we get the New Testament translated and we want to go ahead and print it, or we get the Gospel of John or Genesis or something, and we need to go ahead and print it, right? Then now your church can say, okay, we need $5,000 to print this. And so now your people can go, let's do it. Let's go tell our neighbors. Let's go tell other churches. And let's help raise $50,000, whatever it's going to take, to, to print as many copies of the Gospel of John as we possibly can. Right? Yeah. So you can be involved in that, even without being over there. Number four, prioritize relationships. Your church's missions, commitments will be an extension of your church's ministry. So give priority to supporting people who have grown in ministry from among you. And then second priority should be given to ministries or missionaries which have a reasonable and natural potential for developing a sustained relationship with your church. So ask these questions. Does this fit with our vision for missions ministry? Is it in line with our policies and our priorities? Will our congregation understand and own this work? Right? Because this is something that you're doing. It's not a check writing thing anymore. Those are the day, days of the past. Right? So now you get to think about can we join this effort? Ask if the missionaries seem qualified. How's their relationship with the Lord? How's their marriage? Are they well prepared for the task? What about the mission sending agency? I think you need to ask lots of questions about the agency. You need to ask lots of questions about DTN. Make sure that we're not squandering your resources. Make sure that we're not going to tell you they're doing one thing and then go send them to do something else. Ask, does supporting this ministry or missionary advance our strategy? With what God has called you to do, when you determine those things, ask if it will work. Now, reasons not to support a missionary or ministry: they're church members, or they have friends or family that are. That's not the reason, right? Somebody shows up to you and say, "I've got, you know, my first cousins in Kenya with the pets," right? Sorry, that is not a reason. We say yes. They do good work, but it isn't missions. They're feeding the poor. It's good work. But no connection with local churches. No gospel work. That's not, that's not what you're called to do. They feel called or they started to work and can't get support. It's not a reason. If they won't take no for an answer. There are some missionaries that are so pushy, we don't allow our missionaries to be pushy. I, I don't have time to talk to you about that, but we don't, we don't allow ours to be pushy. We don't raise funds through manipulation. We believe if we give people an understanding of how they can be a part of God's call to the Great Commission, if they look at it and say, then you're the way that I want to be a part of it, and God unleashes them for that, then praise the Lord. But we don't want to do anything through manipulation. If influential people in your church like them, that is not a reason to do it doesn't matter how much they give. Right? It's so hard not to sell out. Everybody's got... Every church has these people that have a lot of pull and will sometimes want to use that pull to accomplish their purposes. It's not wise to let them do that. It's not healthy. If supporting them will avoid conflict not a reason to support them. Guilt. Well, no one will support them if I don't. They don't have a job. I feel sorry for them. It's not a good way. Not a good reason. So, do all your present missions commitments align with the principles? Do you believe that there is going to come a time when you're going to have to adjust some of your commitments to align with the biblical principles that you have? If so, can you help to plan out a godly way forward to how to slowly, patiently steer away from unbiblical ones to biblical ones? Hopefully that you can. All right. So third flight, let's go to session three. So we've started with start well, that foundational aspect that we had to be on so that we could accomplish the task. We went and just gone through what we call serve well. So how do we actually begin to implement this thing in our local church from the top down into impacting and uh, advancing the mission's uh, strategy and priorities of our church throughout every age group, every program, right? Our whole, we don't have programs now that are non, not for making disciples, right? All of our programs are for making, maturing disciples, helping them worship, worship more faithfully, more purely, right? We hone our craft. And this impacts everything. And now we're getting into this idea of what it means to send well. Romans chapter 10 We see, how can they do this without someone... How can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God uses linear logic through that text to build each step one upon another. Unless someone is sent, they'll never be able to preach. And unless someone preaches, they'll never be able to believe. And unless someone believes, they'll never be saved. Do you see that? If you start at the bottom and work your way back up to the top, you can see completely the issues there you can see that unless we become ascending church no the the great commission will never be accomplished